Are you looking for the raw truth about the U.S. healthcare system? Medical practice manager, owner, entrepreneur, and author James Egidio, with 23 plus years in the medical field, educates and informs his listeners about the changes, trends, and truth about the United States healthcare system. James interviews medical experts in various fields of the healthcare industry doctors, nurses, medical specialists, scientists, and professors that discuss the state of the U.S. healthcare system today, tomorrow, and in the future. Hi, I'm James Egidio, your host of the Medical Truth Podcast, the podcast that tells the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth about the American healthcare system. Healthcare in the United States is the top cause of all overdue debt and personal bankruptcy in U.S. medical spending per person is double that of other countries. And yet half the treatments are ineffective or harmful. To say that the U.S. healthcare system is broken is an understatement. My guest received his medical degree from Case Western Reserve University Medical School and went on to do an internal medicine internship at the University of Cincinnati a residency in dermatology at Dartmouth Medical Center, as well as a practice cosmetic surgery throughout Southern California from 1992 to 2019. Today is a retired physician, author of an award-winning book that can be found on Amazon with a 4.6 out of 5 rating based on 309 reviews. The book is called Butchered by Healthcare. It is a book that exposes the U.S. healthcare system to help you see through the lies, how to handle hospitals, find trustworthy doctors, and master your medication use. He recently published and released his new book titled Cassandra's Memo, COVID and the Global Psychopaths. It is my pleasure and an honor to have on the Medical Truth Podcast, Dr. Robert Yoho. Hi, doctor. Thanks. Thanks so much, James. You're welcome. You're welcome. Just a little bit about to introduce. And you don't you don't have to doctor me. We're on a first name basis. We're contemporaries. We've already established that. And. I've got to do my 10-second disclaimer, which is this is not medical advice. Use this information at your own risk and uh, see a doctor who's currently licensed if you have a medical problem. Sorry about that. The information you're going to hear is developed from about six years of research, so I believe in it all, but you were forced in this environment to make disclaimers like that. Go ahead. So I have a question. What inspired you to write Butchered by Health Care and Cassandra's memo, COVID and the Global Psychopaths? So I am like Rip Van Winkle, right? I just was ambling along on the typical doctor's path. I had a little bit of a unique background because I was in a bywater, a eddy, a a sideline from regular medicine. I did cosmetic surgery for 30 years. And so I didn't have the insurance pressures, and I was able to make a reasonable living. Of course, the money in that field is exaggerated, and there are problems, but it was reasonably satisfying. But I became interested in bioidentical hormones. And so I studied, and I took courses, and I became certified, and eventually began prescribing them. And I realized that the narratives, the truths about bioidentical hormones are being concealed. And I couldn't figure it out. So I dove into that issue and eventually learned that the FDA was conspiring with big pharma to suppress these useful drugs. They're really some of the best established drugs in history. 
we've known about a lot of it for 100 years, and the rest of these drugs, we've known about it for 70, 80 years. Thyroid, we've had for 120 years, and its benefits are well-known. We know about the endocrine system, which is how it all goes around. So I couldn't figure it out, and so I looked at it carefully, saw the corruption, and became fascinated with the subject, and eventually wrote books about the hormones and also started looking at the general healthcare corruption. And I looked at all the different areas and healthcare was just a mess. And I just, I couldn't believe it. And the three years I spent on Butchered by Healthcare, a lot of it was just trying to decide that the new stories that I was learning were true. And it was very painful because I have traditional training. So I burned down my preconceptions issue after issue. And then over the last year and a half, I've been looking more carefully at COVID. I started a Substack blog service at robertyoho.substack.com, where you can read almost 200 blogs I've written about that. And so that's the basics of my story. I, uh, I'm firmly convinced that we could, that half of what we do is either unnecessary or actually harmful in America because we spend twice what any other country does and our outcomes are worse. Our general death rate or called mortality, that's higher than most other developed countries. And it's just a mess, but I can go into any of that you'd like. Yeah. So with that being said, what do you, how was healthcare ruined? What ruined healthcare? Because you cover well, that, but to be more specific as to what, what ruined healthcare. I can go into the, the different parts of the field that are fraudulent. And so if you look at the top level, the insurance companies, we view insurance as a protection against disaster, but most of our nearly $4 trillion in U.S. medical spending is run through insurance companies before payment, which produces this insanity of wastefulness. They extract about a fifth, $20 out of every hundred of whatever they touch for their profits to administration. And this is not the case in most other countries. So we've got this, we've got this system, which is double the cost of the other developed countries. And Singapore gets by in about 5%. But so the insurance layers are part of the problem. The hospitals are, there are idealistic people there, but the corporations are just ruthless pirates. And they're at least a third, perhaps 40% of U.S. healthcare spending. And they spend 10 to 15% of their receipts just on coding and collections and other methods to whip company out of money out of the insurance companies. And we all know about big pharma. We thought that I thought originally that they had some merit, but when you scratch beneath the surface, they're purposefully falsifying the studies that the FDA requires to patent the medications. And the FDA turns a blind eye to it because they are funded about 50% by pharmaceutical companies during the patent application process with these fees called user fees. And I can go on about the other, the specific medical fields, but just a quick note about the journals and the academics of medicine. I have become completely contemptuous of these information sources. They've been wrecked by corporations. The journals have been bought off. Their editors have been bought off. They print fraudulent studies. There was a British medical journal uh, editorial. It was either last year or the before that said the title of it was time to assume that the medical literature is fraudulent until proven otherwise. And 
it's it, most of it is absolutely a pack of lies and it's spreading false information then we've got the uh, the medical specialties and i can go into what i found about them if you'd like Sure. So what you're saying is it's the health insurance companies and the pharmaceutical company. And that makes a lot of sense. It's interesting you say that because I see a lot of times where, you know, when I was involved with the medical practice that I had for 24 years, that you'll, for instance, I'll give you an example, Viagra, for instance, when it first came out, it was rolled out in 1998. It was, I don't know, $8, $9 a pill, maybe $7 a pill. And then in 2020, when I got out of the practice, it was up to $80 a pill. And But then you could also, at that time when it came out at $7, $8 a pill, in another country like Canada or somewhere else, India, it was, or India, it was $0.40 cents a pill, $0.50 cents a pill, right? Yeah, I have a friend who's purchased Viagra from India, and my friend says that it works. My friend. <laughs> okay, there you got you caught it. Anyway, so yeah, it's a mess. And those are called patent drugs. And the generics are cheaper, but they're often adulterated. They're often ruined by the manufacturing process. But in the case of Viagra, my friend says that all the stuff he's purchased from India works. Yeah. It's interesting too, because I was told that when that happened with especially Viagra to be exact, is that when it was being manufactured in India and people were purchasing it from the United States, that Pfizer went ahead and just opened up their own factories and provided both their branded product and their generic product. Yeah, I don't know about that specifically. I if Pfizer did it, it certainly wasn't done as a charitable as a charitable Us. move. The yeah. ordering drugs from other countries it seems to be a loophole and you can do it it's buyer beware of course but generally the generics are about the same now you can also get the proprietary drugs the patented drugs if you have a way to order those from other countries and they're frequently quite inexpensive america we're just being raped and pillaged by these pharmaceutical companies because the the drugs have been made so expensive that only five or 10% of the total formulary is now proprietary. And the manufacturing is much better with the proprietary drugs, is much more consistent. Now, these guys are not, they're nothing to be praised, but they can do very consistent manufacturing. And if the drug is good, many times you're better off with the proprietary drug. For example, some of the 24-hour beta blockers only work for 8 to 12 hours, the purported 24-hour generics. And if you are having trouble with your medication, you're best off to try the proprietary medication and see if it works, if you really need it. Now, well over half of what we prescribe is unnecessary or actually harmful. The statins, the entire psychiatric formulary, they're Basically, it's a real mess. Yeah, we could go on for several episodes on just the pharmaceutical industry. But getting back to your point that the reason why healthcare in the United States has been pretty much corrupted is through the insurance companies and the pharmaceutical companies. I think we can both agree on that one. The the vector or the method, the underlying problems are, they're a lot more horrifying. But the, basically, yeah. the way it was done 
is you turn everything into a financial equation, took the doctors out of the equation as much as possible and destroyed their ability to make individual judgments and to advocate for their own patients through the corporate practice of medicine. Yeah. In your book, Cassandra's memo, COVID and the Global Psychopaths, you mentioned hot lots to make that make the COVID vaccine Russian roulette. What do you mean by that? And how significant is that to, let's say, even violations of the Nuremberg Code? Now, we're, we're getting into the advanced material. And if your listeners don't understand the basics, this is going to be hard to believe. But basically, the there are analysts who took the VAERS data. The VAERS is a vaccine adverse response database in the United States. It's voluntarily reported and it's incomplete. Some of the estimates, it's hard to, it's hard to use the database and some of the, and there are, there's evidence that it's getting ruined by the, the agencies who are responsible for taking care of it. But what it does is the, each vaccine is, has a serial number, right? And there are thousands of serial numbers for the COVID vaccine. Each serial number has thousands, at least thousands of individual vials with the same contents. Right. Now, the uh, VAERS data bank that can be searched for what happened with an individual serial number. And we've got such as Craig Partikooper, and I think he's in Belgium, who's somehow put this data together and they examined the serial numbers and the adverse events reported by doctors and others. This includes deaths. And the data in the VAERS is primarily United States. But hot lots is a research phrase that the vax makers wish you would never have heard of. And if you can imagine baby spinach recalled for salmonella contam contamination, that's the sort of thing a hot lot is. That's what the term means. But Parta Cooper developed very credible data that the pharma companies were using the VAERS system to analyze how sick or fatal they could make their vaccines. And it's going to be hard to believe just from a narrative like this, you need to look at the graphs either in my Substack or in my book, Cassandra's Memo, which recently, which was immediately censored off Amazon, but which you can obtain through a free distribution service that you can learn about through my Substack. But anyway, so when you look at these graphs and we have these figures that show the disease and destruction created by each lot. Now, inside of each lot, the pharmaceutical companies, it's a consistent product. And there are thousands of these data points, and they're plotted on a line over about a year's time. And they show that that's about just a few percent of these lots were responsible for most of the fatalities. And there may be 25 million fatalities worldwide due to the VAERS, uh, due to the COVID vaccine, just to give you an idea. And I don't know how many there are in the United States, but the estimates, were, they're very high. And the, the people are getting cancer. They're having all kinds of problems. Blood clots are a feature of this. Strokes, uh, autoimmune diseases, all kinds of stuff. But anyway, to cut to the chase, when you look at the time timeline, it looks like the three companies were coordinating, Pfizer, Johnson, and Moderna, were coordinating a fatality dose response study. 
In other words, they had a limited vertical distribution of these severe reactions, and they only lasted a short period of time. And you can graph the the responses. Now, this sounds complicated, but it's easy to understand. I re-edited this chapter over and over to make it easy. So you really have to look at the graphs to understand that these companies seem to have deployed batches of varying toxicity and lethality during the last half of the time period. It absolutely, in my mind, it absolutely convicts them of genocide because they were studying and they could obtain the data through VARES. They threw the hot lots out there and then they studied it by downloading data from VARES, which is available to both the rest of us who are trying to put the information together and to the psychopaths running this study. So we we know how bad Big Pharma is. Wikipedia has their own page of shame about them. And they basically, they've had more criminal convictions and criminal settlements than any industry in history, billions of dollars a year, and they've been allowed just to pay off these settlements with their massive revenues and stay into business in business. It's a stunning it's a stunning story. It's really one of the most horrifying stories in my whole form. And so I'm not sure that the uh, your audience is ready for it unless they understand well, a know, lot of other stuff. It's interesting you say that because if you think back when they rolled out this vaccine, it was under you it was supposed to be emergency use authorization, right? Yeah. And it freed the pharmaceutical companies of liability. That makes a lot of sense because now it's okay, we're free from liability, it's emergency use authorization. We'll create this panic storm to get people to vaccinate. And I even wrote this in some of my notes where they were offering free weed and donuts and strip clubs and lottery tickets for for the vaccine. This is one of the first vaccines that I can remember having been in the medical field for pretty much all my life that they're offering donuts and strip clubs and lottery tickets for a vaccine. And when did that ever ha- occur? Never. And then the other thing is it seemed like it became a political football on both sides, it made it a political issue. So now you had people who were taking sides on mask and not wearing mask and vaccines and anti-vaxxers and all this other stuff instead of so there was obviously some kind of a cover up or there was some kind of rush to let's let's just there's nothing to look at here let's just take the vaccine and just shut up and that's what it seemed like it's been like for the last two and a half years and any kind of intelligent conversation from professional people that have been involved in this, in these industries their entire life, you can't come to me and say, how do you fly an airplane, James? I can't tell you how to fly an airplane, but I can tell you a lot of things about the medical field and about interpretation of lab results and so on and so forth. But you're questioning really good people, censoring really good people at the cost of what? The cost of lives, right? So it's like... Where does the when does the insanity end and the normalcy begin with people seeing two sides of the equation or the coin? I get started on this stuff, <laughs> just I lose it. You may want to back up and talk yeah. about how the whole thing developed and what we saw and what we have documented conclusively in hindsight was that the COVID virus was a manufactured bioweapon that turned out to kill an awful lot of people. And so we have evidence, financial records that go through the Wellcome Trust and from Fauci into Wuhan, China, that this thing was either transplanted or developed in the Wuhan lab, but it was all directed from American academics. And 
the money was laundered through Europe in order to support that lab. And so this thing was released or it was accidentally released, but the net effect was this pandemic. Now, this would have been a nothing burger, as we say in California, a nothing burger, if proper therapies were allowed. And we have mutation of the planning that took place publicly in event 201 and 10 other pandemic models that Gates Foundation and other people put together exactly what they're going to do. And so this thing, as the virus spread around the world, the panic was incited by the media. The therapies that work avidly were concealed. And then the vaccine was introduced, the quote vaccine was introduced as a second blow to damage us and to scare us and to create havoc. And the data has become more and more clear to the smart observers and people are standing up to re- to repeat all this stuff. But that's the basic story that your listeners should understand that the entire thing was planned and it was, and the documentation is comprehensive <clears throat> and that our information sources have been ruined as part of the process. And we've been subjected to this incredible gaslighting program to, to frighten and intimidate and to lie to us about the truth. Gaslighting is a word that was the word of the year last year in Merriam-Webster. And what it means is telling lies to distort the truth, make people question their sanity, and intimidate people. So that's... I mean, the COVID virus itself has been around for many years, though, correct? I'm not an expert about this, but as I understand it, this is a new variant that it had to have been manufactured in the labs because it has genetic sequences that are artificial, or at least could not have been natural evolutionary products of what came before with chances of one in trillions that it happened naturally. So this thing is a manufactured virus that has been used like a bioweapon, an intimidation weapon on the entire globe. It's there's not a country which hasn't been affected psychologically or physically. Yeah. So why the draconian lockdowns in 2020 for a virus that if contracted had a 98.5% of survival rate? In other words, so, if you... Yeah. So the lockdowns were there. They weren't a product of the virus. They were a goal of the people trying to control us. And basically, <clears throat> if you think about what the lockdowns were completely <clears throat> ineffective as a viral tech, viral control technique, just like masks, which you can't imagine a mask with a hole in it, a thousand times the size of a virus would have any effect. And obviously they had no effects. They are both gaslighting procedures to intimidate and control the worldwide populace. And when you scratch beneath the surface, masks have been used for prisoners and slaves hundreds, if not thousands of years. We have documentation from history going back at least 500 years that they were being used for slaves in the Caribbean. And they were used for the people imprisoned at the Arab, how do you pronounce that prison in Cuba, Guantanamo. And and it's the masks were part of the intimidation campaign. And yeah. if your listeners aren't familiar with this, it's going to be hard to believe. But they were not a reasonable response to a viral epidemic. In fact, it was completely irrational and it's a gaslighting effect. 
Yeah. Also, the health effects of wearing a mask, too, are not too good either. I've never been convinced of that, but it certainly is intimidating and aggravating, and it makes people less likely to. It, it is a virtue signaling or a compliance signaling device. And as far as I'm concerned, it's gaslighting on steroids, mandating masks. It's yeah. really an outrage. Yeah, the ludicrous thing, too, about the mask thing, and I said this from the beginning, and you're, you were a surgeon, is you're in a sterile environment when you're scrubbing down to get into go into surgery. You're putting on a mask in a sterile environment. You have a sterile field. So if I'm walking around all day with a mask on outside in public and I'm touching it, and I'm, <laughs> there's no more sterile field. There's no more. Where's the benefit of wearing a mask? The thing about the mask doing something for surgeons, that's another myth that has never mm. been clearly established. They, the theory is that you decrease your infection rate because you don't put droplets from your face onto the sterile field. But the studies that have evaluated that have never, they've never strongly established that your infection rate is influenced by mask wearing. So the mask thing is pretty much nonsense from head to toe. It certainly keeps blood off your face, which is, right helpful, it may prevent the surgeon from being exposed to the patient. But the reverse has not been clearly established. Yeah. And then the other thing that was interesting during the pandemic was the natural immunity, natural immune system really got mentioned during the pandemic. Why is that? The pandemic was designed to intimidate, make us fearful, make us turn towards authority for, for, for our sense of support. And part of it was this ridiculous idea that we had to come up with a vaccine to treat a relatively mild viral illness. Now, obviously, viral illnesses untreated can kill a lot of people. And in fact, COVID did kill a lot of people because the treatments were suppressed. And in some cases, in African countries, the treatments were actually burned. Um, we have a lot of evidence that the treatments work. For example, in India, there are two provinces, each almost the size of the United States, about 250 million people. And in one of the provinces, the the treatments were given, ivermectin, hydroxychloroquine, vitamin D, zinc. They were given in a little packet to everyone. And in the other province, they weren't. And we found out that the, the treatments work that way. Now, there are many other studies now that demonstrate the efficaciousness of these things, particularly vitamin D and ivermectin. Ivermectin is the drug that the disease works most avidly for. Yeah. But there are plenty of other studies. Africa missed the whole pandemic because only 5% of Africa ever got vaccinated. So yeah. the vaccine turns out to be on a second dose or a third or fourth dose of the spike protein. <clears throat> and the problem is that every exposure makes the chance of you having a severe sickness or a mortal reaction to death much more likely. So after three vaccines, these people in America who felt it was a political issue, their chances of dying have shot up and their chance of dying in the future from the spike protein factory that they've turned their bodies into is it's unknown, but it's certainly higher than the people without the vaccine. So what you're saying then is that the vaccine itself produces these spike proteins is what it's doing. It's replicating these spike proteins. It's not a vaccine. It's a nightmarish bioweapon that has a kill rate, which is demonstrated in the hot lot study by right. Carter Cooper.
Yeah. It's just, it's crazy. It's just, it's like we're inside a science fiction novel. <laughs> yeah. Dystopian. Unfortunately. Not it a happy is. one. Yeah. It's not a happy one. Where do you think the future of this is? Where do you think the, I know you don't have a crystal ball, but. <laughs> I, I try to avoid predicting the future. And as right. far as I'm concerned, we have no choice but to fight. Because if we let the thing go on the way it's going, I think the ultimate goal, which has been expressed by these caricatures at the World Economic Forum, is totalitarian control of yeah. the whole globe. It's just, it's so hard to believe, but uh, we've got to fight, James. When you say fight, just resist getting these vaccines, because we were confronted with, and I say we, the people that were out there in the world of, of airline pilots, nurses, were forced to get vaccines. And no, again, you're not forced. No, I you can know. quit. You, yeah, exactly. You can quit. Anybody subjecting their health to this stuff, risks are much higher than are commonly appreciated. The hot lot study, just that one time interval, the risks seem to be about one in 200, a half percent of getting one of these hot lots, which has a significant chance of killing you or maiming you or destroying your health. So anybody that gets a vaccine has not examined the data. They don't understand what's going on. And it's out there. It's on Substack, for example. Substack is a platform that hasn't been censored yet. Some of the books that are available are detailing this that Amazon still permits publication on. And Amazon's burning books. I think there's too, too much truth in it. They will not publish. Yeah. Where's, there's, I think I mentioned this earlier. Where's the direct correlation? There's got to be a direct correlation with violation of the Nuremberg Code with all this stuff, isn't there? Or it just doesn't hold any weight anymore. Yeah. The Nuremberg Code, as I understand it, is written into most countries' constitutions and also into our state constitutions. But And the theories about what we should be doing legally are beyond me. The Children's Health Defense, the CHD website, mm -hmm. lists around 50 lawsuits that they have going, and they are pursuing various legal theories. But apparently the Nuremberg Code is not something that can be easily enforced, particularly when the judges are also largely co-opted in America and elsewhere. But they're not all co-opted, so there is hope, and we have to play whack-a-mole to at least slow down the advance of the army against us. Yeah. It's interesting. We saw where <clears throat> HIPAA violations were pretty much went out the window with vaccine passports and sharing your personal medical information with employers. Um, to back up, HIPAA is a confidentiality law in America that says right. that you're not supposed to spread your, as a provider, you have certain requirements about how you obtain consent to share medical information. And James is just saying that they they seem to be ignoring that. There, there are many lawless threads now, and this is only one of them. And in fact, it seems like the most minor part of it all. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I interviewed a gentleman by the name of Jay Glasgow. He owns a company called privacy.coop. And he, that's exactly what he does is he has a legal department that sends a letter to these various businesses and whatnot that breach your confidentiality and your personal information. And he had mentioned something really interesting about when you get into your car, every time you get into your car, your body weight is calculated in these newer model cars through your seat and your airbags, and that information gets disseminated 
or when you go to a doctor's office and you give them information about, let's say, your pain level or whatever, all that stuff gets calculated and collected and sold, all that data does. So it just seems like with this whole COVID thing over the last two and a half years, and I'm sure it's probably even prior to COVID, is that there is no such thing as HIPAA laws anymore. I think that's all personal private data has gone out the window. HIPAA laws, HIPAA laws are seem important, but they're the least of our problems. In an yeah. era when we have these criminals like Fauci, like Gates, these people who are genocidal, psychopathic murderers, running loose publicly talking about their agendas to of, quote, population reduction, which incidentally is not a problem anymore. We don't have fears that the world is going to be overpopulated because we are adequately feeding most of the world's populace, even Africa, has declined, their starvation rate has declined from a double digit starvation rate in the last 20, 25 years to a single digit starvation rate. The energy is plentiful, at least as of now. And if they don't destroy our ability to use fossil fuels adequately for the energy, maybe maybe we can go on and feed everyone. And the United States, there's not a problem with food production here. We produce 4,000 calories per person and only need 2,000, but we force feed 2,700 to everyone. So that's our average consumption, but we really only need 2,000. It's crazy. But uh, HIPAA laws are the least of our problems when we have these genocidal maniacs promoting their agendas and going around and developing these bioweapons and attacking the entire world's populace and making us sicker and less, less strong and intimidating everyone. Yeah, yeah. So where do you... Where do you see the, and like I said, you don't have a crystal ball, but where do you see the future in all this? Where do you think this, what's the end game? What, I guess what's the end game is my question to you for these, for this, these psychopaths. Well, yeah, they, they want, they, their end game is quite apparent because they've published and they have conferences and all kinds of things. And if you look at this, these caricatures operating the World Economic Forum, they've, theorize a lot of stuff about what they they think they need to have happen with the unification of man and machine. They think that we're going to be and they, just like a Terminator and be able to put port a human consciousness. Cyborgs. Yeah, it's absurd. <laughs> and anyone with a serious medical background knows that when we're in our 60s or 70s, we probably carry multiple cancers within us. We have the seeds of our own demise right here that our actuarial survival is 10 years or 15 or 20 years. And some of these people are contracted to freeze their heads. With you hear about that story at alcon.com yeah. or .org, A-L-C-O-N, I think that's it. In, in I think it's in Phoenix. But they, they contract with people to freeze their heads so when the singularity occurs and we can port the human consciousness into machines, which supposedly that'll happen pretty soon, but it hasn't happened yet. But if you're going to die in the meantime, at the moment of your death or very shortly thereafter, within seconds, they cut your head off and stick it in liquid nitrogen. Right? And so you got to <laughs> laugh at some of this stuff. And we've got Klaus Schwab, who is like a character out of a James Bond movie. Uh, <laughs> yeah. But he, yeah. And we've got this crazy, quote, intellectual Harari who writes these books that have been so well received. But when you scratch beneath the surface, he's advocating all kinds of nonsense from yeah. start. To, there's reason for hope because these people are holding up a fragile tissue 
of their, quote, transhumanism in front of them. And what they're afraid about is the same fears that you and I have about our own mortality. And instead of realizing and becoming, accepting our mortality and understanding that impermanence makes it all sweeter, these guys are having conferences about transhumanist theories where they port themselves into machines. And they think that because they've become so successful in the physical world that they can't miss the next world or the oblivion that is going to come to them. Yeah, I think the thing that we and the people that are listening to this podcast and watching it is that at the end of the day, like you said, there's hope, but there's more of us than there are of them. We There's we, only a we, few of them. Yeah, there's only a few of them. So psychopaths are the theory. I read all the psychopath <laughs> literature. I, I read your list. Yeah. I read your list. But yeah. they are probably 1% of the populace. And everyone listening knows a psychopath who continually lies. That's the best marker for it. Right. And they basically, if you get to know them, they enjoy hurting other people. And so that's the motivation here. Now, what happens in these large organizations is the psychopaths co-opt up to 15 or 20 percent of the rest of the populace. And these people are damaged by their proximity to the psychopaths and often are involved in the conspiracies. And conspiracies are a hallmark of psychopathic behavior. Now, incidentally, when you hear the conspiracy theory term, that was invented during the period right after the RFK assassination and by the CIA, and it came into currency. And if you're your conspiracy, you dismiss whatever comes after that phrase. But if you understand what's going on, you'll understand that psychopaths operate with conspiracies, and that's their modus. And uh, sorry, I got on a rant there, James. <laughs> yeah, that's a good rant. Just to go back to butchered by healthcare for the listener and the viewer. You mentioned that screening tests are useless. Why are they useless? Medical okay, screening so, test, that is. Right. Screening tests, what we're let me define that. That's a test on a healthy person to see if you have a problem. And the theory is that you can nip it in the bud early, right? And so it's like these screening tests for the COVID virus, right? The thing that's rammed up your nose. That that thing is useless medically because the statistics on it just are, they're absurd. It, the only viruses, those of us in medicine understand that viruses can't be treated very well in most cases, but we do have new treatments that work and they spread through the populace. There's no way to prevent a viral spread with isolation or masks or any of the other social distancing, it's all absurd. You put me back on the, my rant here, James. <laughs> so I asked you about screening tests and oh, mentioned okay. they're useless and why are they useless? The other screening tests, let me continue to define what they are. A screening test would be like looking up your backside with a scope when you have no symptoms, right? You have no symptoms, no bleeding rectally, no abdominal pain, nothing. And a screening test is like mammogram. A screening test is like checking for cholesterol when you have no symptoms or problems. And these tests have been rolled out primarily in the United States, and they promoted the use of all kinds of inter 
therapies, right? They promoted early excisions for breast cancers, which aren't really cancers. There's a there's an entity called in situ breast cancer, which has the same chance of dying as if you don't have breast. So they pick this up on a mammogram. They biopsy it. They sometimes slice the breasts off. And sometimes if you're particularly like Angela Jolie, they slice both of them off. Right? And then, then you've got this big advertisement for the non-functional uh, medical care. In the case of colons, and we breast cancer is just this huge industry. I'm not implying that breast cancer isn't a problem, but we have good treatments for breast cancer that are being suppressed. And the early treatment of breast cancer is largely completely fraudulent. It's just, it's crazy. The idea that these early breast cancers statistically predict breast cancer is absurd. But it's an individual case scenario. So I don't want you to take my words as treatment advice. You have got to figure this thing out as best you can and work with your doctors and go on to another doctor if you don't think you're making progress. But in general, many chemotherapies are much worse than nothing. But that's just a general statement, not to be construed as advice. Yeah, So I understand. So my question, I guess, is, and I don't mean to interrupt you there, but because okay. you, you mentioned something very interesting. You're saying they're somewhat useless, but what's the difference between, let's say, preventative health care, going out and getting your yearly blood test, your chem panel and your CBC and whatnot, as opposed and just to see your and your cholesterol levels to check that, as opposed to th- these diagnostic tests being not useful at all. Is there... So in general, I think it ought to be pretty much chucked, except for you need to have a, (laughs) there are risks and there are benefits, right? The biggest risk in medicine is smoking. About one out of five people dies of smoking related diseases. So you got a risk like that. You've got to, you've got to think very carefully about the next cigarette that goes in your mouth every time. Then you have intermediate risks like diet and exercise. And those are pretty important. Sun exposure probably is important. It's less well documented. And I know you're in Florida, so you're probably getting plenty of sun. You should go out in your bathing suit, not just with a shirt on. And then you have lower level risks like fluoride exposure because the United States has got universal, almost universal fluoride fluoridation of our municipal water supplies. That stuff, the newer studies have shown that pregnant mothers who are exposed to fluoride as opposed to controls who are not have a decline in their kids' IQs of about a full standard deviation. Now, that's consequential. And I've not read the studies, but I think it's they're pretty good. If you want a full measure of the fluoride issues, I'm about ready to publish a modified repost of Steve Kirsch's fluoride article in my substack at robertyoho.substack.com. Another risk, which is probably more consequential than fluoride, but is not clear, is EMF exposure from cell phones and cell towers. And with the increasing deployment of these 5G towers, that's more consequential. But we don't know an awful lot about it, but we do know it raises the temperature of little kids' brains when they put the cell phone up to their head. So these things can be mitigated pretty easily. For example, Culligan water reverse osmosis turns any kind of bad water into good water, and you can buy bottled water and drink that. That's pretty easy to mitigate once you understand how bad fluoride is. And I, like everything else, you'd better 
look at the evidence for yourself. The cell phone stuff, you shouldn't put the thing against your head, right? It's the anecdotes and the evidence that it does cause tumors is pretty strong. And in fact, every cell phone has a disclaimer that says you should not hold it up to your head. So nobody reads the fine print. You should use it on speakerphone and at your risk of the EMF. You can turn your you can turn your Wi-Fi off at night. Wi-Fi is something, the exposures are something you can heal from. So you want to avoid exposures. And as of now, it seems like we can reduce those risks very low. The risk of cervical cancer, we they talk about mitigating that risk by doing pap smears on millions of people, but only 4,000 people die a year in the United States from cervical cancer. So that's a rare one. It sounds like a lot of people, but it's in the scope of a, all the mortality or all the deaths being a half cancer or something, it's nothing. So the pap smears probably are useless unless you have a reason to get it, pain or discharge or some other reason. And the numbers just don't bear out their utility. Likewise, for colon cancer, the screening with a scope, that scope kills a number of people. It's not very common, but it is possible. You can puncture, I think it's one in 5,000 or 10,000, you get a puncture. And of those, one in 10 dies or something like that. And that's those are figures that I extrapolated when I examined the issue from other types of colonic injuries, yeah. like penetrating wounds. Yeah, you know. there's the also the, the whole thing with the environmental toxins lowering testosterone levels in men. Now we have a whole new issue with BP, it was a BPHs or from plastic and there's all and pesticides in foods and the foods that we eat now are lowering the testosterone levels in men, right? So testosterone is very good for a man's health and it's very good for a woman's health too. And this one can be easily mitigated as well by giving extra testosterone, either in a cream form or in a shot, which can be given once a week or twice a week for men. I don't know, I don't have any hard evidence, and I haven't studied why the testosterone levels are decreasing, but this is a phenomenon in the last 30 years, roughly, that they've decreased by a percent a year or so. Sperm activity or sperm numbers are decreasing also, which is in a, it's consonant with the rest of the population's declining fertility. We're not at replacement reproduction levels, but we have so much illegal immigration now that I don't think that's much of a problem. We've got, we're replacing our citizens with non-citizens. For the listeners and viewers of the Medical Truth Podcast, in your professional opinion, what advice do you have when it comes to quality medical care? Okay, this is a big question. Now, you almost need healthcare providers' expertise to navigate the system if you have a serious problem. For people who are the worried young people who probably don't have a lot of problems, you're better off staying away. But our childhood vaccines have increased our rate of all kinds of things, allergic and inflammatory diseases, and not Alzheimer's, autism has increased dramatically from around one in 10,000 when I was a little kid to about one in 30 now. And wow, I know it's stunning. And that is. There, there are no good studies on vaccines. Okay. Now just think about that. These other drugs, we can analyze what the drug companies did with their sugar pills and the rest of it in thousands to 10,000s of 
tens of thousands of patients, but there are no double-blind placebo-controlled trials for vaccines, just as there are none that are proper for psych drugs. All the entire psychiatric formulary, we can throw out the window because it hasn't been proven to help. And these arguments you can look at more closely in Butchered by Healthcare. I recommend that you have a look at that if you don't think I'm credible. And we don't have time today to get into all that. But uh, anyway, put me back on the on course here. Oh, absolutely. Was the question? No, we were just talking about where it comes to quality medical care. Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah. You do have some options you didn't have before Trump. Trump made it possible for you to get virtual visits with doctors anywhere who agreed to do it. And you can pay $500, dollars or maybe even more, and you can get the best doctors in the country or maybe in the world to do a consult on your case. And so if you have a serious medical problem, if you have cancer, if you have anything that looks like it's going to take your life or severely injure you, at the drop of the hat, if you don't think your doctor is doing a good job, you get these consults and then you can have the outside consultants from the big medical centers direct your care with your personal doctor. Because all throughout the United States, the doctors have access to every medication on the U.S. formulary, everything that works. And there are times when you have to make your own decisions and obtain your medications from outside sources and get directed by a doctor in another state. And they're allowed to do this now. They're allowed to consult without a physical, which is new. The medical boards have traditionally censured or taken licenses from doctors who did this routinely. But they're allowed to do that now since the supposed dangers of in-person visits have, have escalated with COVID. Now, I, I put supposed down because I don't think that they'd be dangerous at all if we were allowed to use the therapies which have been proven so conclusively to work. But the gaslighting, the psychopathic gaslighting that we've seen about the COVID treatments, the ivermectin and the hydroxychloroquine and the zinc and the vitamin D, it's been so profound that in California, the doctors aren't allowed to talk about it. It's crazy. And now that'll get defeated in court. But it's in the meantime, these guys can lose their license Yeah. if they tell you to take ivermectin and buy it from India. Yeah, it seems like at least now, and I guess the silver lining of all this, too, is that you can become more in this day and age proactive with your health, your personal health which is good, but I think you also have to be selective and do more research too before you you move forward with anything anymore, especially like you say with the vaccines, for instance. Well, I think if you take any of these vaccines, you haven't looked at the data, including yeah. the childhood vaccines. Now, we're left with, since the studies have been ruined or not performed, we're left with quote, anecdotes. Now, what an anecdote is, it's there's two different kinds of medical science. There's three, really. First, there's theories, which are nonsense, as far as I'm concerned. You know, this because you've got a substance in your blood called a surfactant or a, something else that the thing must work because of this and that. But the empiric science is either double-blind studies or anecdotes. Now, an anecdote goes like this. If you have a country with 300 million people where 10,000 kids have fallen down to the floor and started banging their heads and never spoke again after a childhood vaccine, that's a convincing anecdote to me. And then the time course of this decline in this increase in autism 
exactly matches the time course when these vaccines were rolled out and made. We destroyed the ability of the plaintiffs to take revenge on the drug companies who came up with this stuff. Since 1986, Reagan signed that thing into law. It seemed reasonable at the time, but there's no liability for a lot of this stuff. It, the legal shields have been created around the vaccine companies. Since then, the autism rate has steadily climbed, and that is not a causal connection that can be proven. But with the anecdotes like the like all the problems that have developed and the the kids that have essentially been destroyed immediately after getting a childhood vaccine and the insanity of doing all this stuff to newborns. Yeah. Even. yeah, it's really sad because we look back now, what, a year and a half, two years later with the rollout of the vaccine for COVID. And it just seemed like it was like a political football is what it was, because you had the Operation Warp Speed, get it out, everybody gets vaccinated, but then people didn't want to take it because they took a political side at the time. And then all of a sudden we have a different political party in office and all of a sudden it's nobody, oh, don't, you don't want to get the vaccine. Then another new new regime comes in and it's all of a sudden it's the silver bullet for and the cure-all, end-all to everything. And it just became a political football Instead of people just taking a couple steps back, taking a deep breath and saying, okay, let me investigate this. There's a lot of things I could think of that we take more time to think about that are so mundane and trivial, but yet we'll put a vaccine that's been untested and we're the guinea pigs. And I guess it gets back and it makes a lot of sense when you talk about hot lots, about this whole thing about hot lots and in the pharmaceutical companies freeing themselves from liability with all this. Well, that makes a lot of sense because you have to have, as an, I know, being in the medical industry for a long time, you have to have a placebo group. You have to have a group, a control group. You have to have the sugar, the group that takes the sugar pill. And then you have to have the group that gets tested with the various strengths of that vaccine or that medication or whatever it is to find out how things are going to shake out. It doesn't make any sense that 18-year-olds and 22-year-old athletes and 30-year-old athletes are just dropping dead on a on a basketball court or on a soccer field. I have three people I know personally that have been affected by the vaccine and to the point of death, okay? Personally, 30-year-old, a 50-year-old, and a 65-year-old, all healthy individuals. The 30-year-old, he dropped dead in his house and his brother found him on the floor. It's not coincidence. That his brother comes home and he finds him dead on the floor and he's healthy. Mainstream polls have established that at least half of us, and they, they have to be conservative, but the figure is 49% have personal connections with people who have been severely vaccine injured. Yeah. The thing that's amazing to me is that you can have one of your family members drop dead or have a problem and still deny it, but people have such a connection to football heroes and other these, quote, whatever they are, the sports figures and everything else, that when one of them drops dead or appears to drop dead on a football field, all of a sudden people shake their heads and wake up. Yeah. The 30-year-old, his grandmother was the one that pushed the shot. She was just so adamant about everybody in the family getting the shot. And then the husband ended up with a heart attack this past summer, and then the kid passed away last spring. It's not coincidence, 30-year-old kid. Emerson says, says that a man becomes what he thinks about most of the time. And that's the story with grandma. She wasn't bribed and she wasn't threatened. She was fooled by the propaganda. Yeah, that's exactly right. My guest, 
Dr. Robert, you, did I say that right? Sure. Yeah. Just he, don't call me late for dinner. <laughs> Four, Four books. Two that really stand out is Butchered by Healthcare. Could be found on Amazon, as I mentioned, beginning of this episode here. 4.6 stars out of five ratings, 309 reviews. And his latest book, Sandra's Memo, COVID and the Global Psychopaths. It could also be found on Substack at robertyoho.substack.com. That's robertyoho.substack.com. Thank you so much for joining me for this episode of the Medical Truth Podcast, Doc. I appreciate it. James, thank you Thanks. so much. And we'll give you the free link to download my last book to your, so you can put that in your show notes. Yeah, absolutely. And it'd be nice to get you on the show again and we could talk about some other works that you're sure. doing. Thanks. Thank you for listening to the Medical Truth Podcast. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast at www.medicaltruthpodcast.com so you don't miss any future episodes and share with family and friends to keep them informed as well. Until next time.